Welcome to the See Me Now podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Coleman, here with my co-host, Caitlin Birdsall. And we are joined today by Colorado Mesa University Associate Professor of Theater and Costume Designer, Jill Van Brussel. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. So you've been here about 10 years. Um, I imagine you have done a lot in the department um, in that time. And I want to chat about... um, Kind of what brought you here? Because you're not originally from Western Colorado. I'm not. And I had never been to Colorado, never thought about Colorado in any way. Um, I was based in the Midwest in Chicago. I kind of thought when I got out of grad school, I would go back to Chicago, which I thought of as the sort of king of all cities. I think it's one of the greatest places. And then I would resume my freelance career. Um But I kind of fell in love with the teaching process and the idea of being doing art in an academic setting uh, and what that might offer. So when I got through my grad program, and it was a rather late returning student, I came into costume design and studied it pretty late in my life. So I was in my mid-40s. I decided to go ahead and see what might be out there. And so I put out a bunch of applications. I uh, went and visited different parts of the country, and uh, this opportunity to come on campus came up. And I came here, and uh, it's hard to articulate. I just, um, there was something about the building, the people, the students, um, the grocery store, the warmth of the people that I encountered here that just somehow felt right. And um, I got on the plane at the tiny little airport (laughs) to head back home, and I just remember sitting there thinking, well, I really hope they call me and give me an offer. And they did. And I said, yes. And here I am. And you got your master in fine arts and costume design at Purdue, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. And you just mentioned, and we I, we have to go back here because you went into, you did this when you were 40, in your 40s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What what about life kind of led you to be, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a costume designer. <laughs> It was a long, circuitous process. I mean, I really envy and admire those people who just know what they want to do, and they are just like a straight shot. They're very goal-oriented and directing, um, but I, I kind of went where the winds took me for a while. I started out as a performer in music theater. That was really my first love of theater. Um, but I even started that kind of late. I was just randomly auditioned for a play in college, and I thought, oh, this is really kind of fascinating. It fascinated me on so many levels. And I did that for a while. And then my life kind of twisted and turned. There weren't so many opportunities to act. And so I got the opportunity to direct, uh, which is being in charge of all the aspects of a production of directing the actors and help create helping to guide the designers in making the visual world. And I really loved that sort of outside view of making theater. Um, And then that evolved into doing design along with that, because I was often in these very low-budget situations where you might have to do several things. You wore several hats, you directed the actors, and you also might have to use some of your other skills like costume design. So I really started falling in love with costume design when I was directing, because it was such an interesting way of helping to think about character and think about the world that they were in and the journey they were taking through a play. Um, And so it became a really integral way of thinking about the storytelling of the play. 
And just as life took various twists and turns, and I moved and relocated and married and was widowed, it just sort of rose to the top as the best fit for me. Um, it was one of those things, like I said, I kind of entered theater through the back door, not through any kind of education. I have an undergraduate degree in biopsychology. Um, but I entered through the doing realm and just learned by doing. Uh, but I always felt this gap in my knowledge. So a couple of times I went back to school. I went back to school at one point and got my MA in theater just so I could understand history and theory and um, just sort of the broad strokes of what theater was about. And um, as my life evolved, I seemed to be getting more and more design and directing jobs that seemed to be sort of a better fit for me. I never really liked the repetition of acting quite so much. I love the high of performance. I love the fascination of rehearsal, but I don't like the repetition of performance. So I love the, the sort of beginning and end of directing and designing. Um, and it allows you to have a bit more of a normal life. You know, you don't, um, you're not as dependent, you know, as an actor, you're very dependent on someone seeing you in a role. You're waiting for people to hire you. You have a bit more control of your own life when you're in one of the design fields. Um, and so somehow it just rose to the top as having the most things about theater that I love doing, the the tearing apart a script, the trying to understand a person, trying to create a world and figure out where they fit into that world. It's this crazy combination of art and history and drawing and making and storytelling um, that all comes together in this really fascinating way for me. So it just kind of gradually, other things sort of paired away and it became the best fit for me. So I reached in a point in my life where I thought, well, I've been doing all these things, but I'm not sure I really know what I'm doing all that well. I'm making it up as I go along. Um, and so I did hit a real turning point in my life uh, when I was widowed. And I thought, well, I've got to knuckle down to something and get a direction for the next upcoming years. And so at that point, I thought, well, I think it's costume. I think I'd like to see about being a designer and take that seriously. So I applied to grad programs. I found, um, I found I was sort of an unusual candidate. I was already a little too formed, you know, and a little too uh, mature or old, perhaps, uh, for a lot of graduate programs that really want to form somebody from the ground up. Um, but I met uh, the costume designer at Purdue that I didn't even know how to they're, you know, they're real science and engineering and uh, produced a lot of astronauts and things like that. I didn't even know they had a theater program. Um, but I went to meet with, um, with the head of their program. And I was so taken by him because his real passion he was a great designer. I saw one of his shows and I completely fell in love with the wit and the style of this production of Dracula he designed. Um, but his real passion was teaching. He was very clear about that, that he wanted to mentor people. And he thought that their program might have something to offer someone like me. Um, and so I followed Joel Ebarb to that program. And there I was. I love hearing about the fact that you had this mentor mm -hmm. in your program and mm -hmm. that for you, it was really also about teaching. So I'm curious to hear about 
Do you feel like you've been able to be a mentor to students over your last seven, eight years here? And what does that feel like to know that you're having that impact on students' lives, not only while they're here, but in their future as well? Mm, It's probably one of the most powerful things. Um, Knowing that I had such an influential mentor in Joel, his students uh, still quote him. I'm always quoting him in my classes um, in terms of the philosophy of what we do and how you interact with actors and directors and what your place is in the process and how to think about what we do. Uh, That has such a strong impact on me. Um, I've loved trying to figure out how to be that for our own students here. And we have a, you know, a pretty small group of students here that are interested in costume. It tends, it seems to be a bit of a, I don't know, a bit of a dying art maybe that people understand that they can go into. But I think it's one of my favorite things. It's really, um, it's been really exciting for me in the past couple of years as I've had a student, a few students who are very costume focused that I've been able to step back from being the designer on a few productions and then mentor them through stepping up onto the stage and taking the lead as the designers in some of our shows. Um, and then just trying to figure out how do you ask the right questions, give the right kind of guidance, um, honor their taste and not yours and keep that moving forward and see how they might want to use this in their lives going forward. So um, though that area of our department is fairly small, um, the very smallness of the department in a way makes it so much more intimate. Or perfect for more of a mentor-mentee setting where you've got that time to be able to really invest in these students. It really is. We don't have... um, a program that's sort of just um, a park ride that you get on and it carries through. We uh, are able to, and really forced to be, because we have such a small group of students and their interests are so diverse in the design tech department that we're always trying to find out okay, so what are you interested in? What's your skill set? Where are the holes? Where do you want to fill in? How can we help you figure out and then guide you toward the kinds of things that you want to do? It's it's in no way cut and dried. It's very, very individualized. And that's one of the things that approached me about, or that really uh, excited me about coming to CMU and this particular department is that I could be sort of the only person in this field and we could sort of create it as we went along. When you're talking, I'm actually picturing Moulin Rouge. Really? Yes. So, you know, of course, it's a it's a play. It's a place, um, but it's also a movie. And so when whenever I watch Moulin Rouge, which I love, so that's why I keep coming to my mind, mm-hmm. it's so uh, vibrant and everything that they're wearing is like so perfect for the period that they are in. But I'm, I think when you do your shows... You kind of play around with that, right? When you're creating these costumes, you take from the time period, but you also get a little something else. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that you say Moulin Rouge, because I think that's a classic example of it. Um, to quote my own mentor, um, research is a tool, not a rule. Um, and 
we see, yeah, when we see a lot more of that, we're getting much more used to it in things like Moulin Rouge or Game of Thrones or a lot of the things that we see in TV and movies. Um, that movie that came out a couple of years ago about Mary Queen of Scots, where it's based in historical research, but there's also there's that other thing which is really what we know is the element of design. It's sort of the larger psychological elements. It's um, it's saying okay, we're going to do all the time period correct stuff from Mary Queen of Scots, but we're going to do all the costumes in denim and leather. That's not historically appropriate, but it's the attempt by the designer, the director, the people who are creating that whole visual world to create a world, a world that is very particular to that particular vision. And that's uh, that's the fun of it. That's um, we are not recreators. You know, we are interpreters and creators of each new production as we go along. So we don't go to the... Um, you know, to the SpongeBob section of the costume shop and pull a set of things off there. We have to kind of figure out what's the story that we're trying to tell here with SpongeBob. What do we think this looks at? What are what are our actors like? You know, what do we what do we what's the message here? That so, sounds so fun. I mean, it's not just you know a copy and paste kind of thing. It's no. it is really creative and innovative, and um, it's so it's so neat. And I think you can see that when you go to the shows and you go to the theater here that it really is. Um, just special, you know, you're not going to get this show anywhere else. Yeah, that's, and that's kind of the difference in theater between the script and the production. You know, there's this, there's our source text, um, but there's not one way to do that. There are all, there's this group of people that come together and try and figure out what's the story here. If we're doing Romeo and Juliet, is this about the impetuosity of teenagers? Is this about, um, prejudice? You know, what is this about? And so once we locate the heart of the story based on that script that we're trying to tell, then, you know, all the designers and the directors and the casting all come into play to figure out, okay, how do we tell that particular version of this source text? I feel like when you're watching a play or you're at the theater or even with movies and TV shows, if there's something off in the costumes or the design of the costumes, it's like you subliminally can tell, but maybe don't always know like exactly what it is. Do you ever find yourself when you're watching plays or at the theater, that's not our own productions where you've had a hand in the costume design, do you find yourself noticing things like that? Or is it something that doesn't really affect you when you're just enjoying and having that experience? Oh, no, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's, you know, <laughs> once you are in any kind of field, I think, you you can never be a naive viewer of anything. You know, you have your own your taste, you have your own opinions, and you also know the thought process that goes into things. So there's always the critical eye is always going when you're seeing things. And I think you're right. Costuming um, and a lot of design elements are subliminal. You don't feel or maybe you don't even notice them unless they are wrong somehow. They're not in harmony with the world that, in the storytelling. Um, but yes, yes, it's very hard to be a naive viewer. And in fact, I, I have my, my group of costume designer friends that we can uh, talk about the costumes in movies and plays without boring all of our non-costume friends to death. Because, you know, who wants to be subjected to pulling apart, you know, a hairstyle or a sash? But, you know, costume designers love to do that. I want to ask you about something, and this might be a little personal, so if you don't want to go there, we do not have to. Um, 
But I'm thinking about the arts and the power of the arts. And you said you were widowed. Mm-hmm. And then this launched your whole new, like, kind of second life. Mm-hmm. Did did the arts play a role in kind of a rebirth or a healing of some kind for you? Oh, wow. That's a great question. I... Um, I would say yes, and maybe in the same way that they do for anybody who has um, a deeply felt investment in work that they do, that some of the first things that happened um, after I was widowed is I had friends who said, I thought you might want a project, so why don't you come and work on this with me or that with me? And there was a great degree to which those things carried me through um, because it is a real falling in love process as a designer. You start out with something you may or may not know anything about, and then you have to learn everything about it and completely immerse yourself in this project, fall in love, usually with somebody else's vision, figure out how to get on board with that and bring your vision into that. And it tends to be completely involving, um, completely immersive, at least for a period of time. And it also depends on at least short-term close relationships with people. And I think those processes of doing those things help to sort of help me jump from one rock to another in a grieving process. Um, But I also think there's, um, and even being many years out from that experience, um, and anyone who's gone through any kind of a major loss or grief process will know it never really ends. There's other ways in which being in the arts has really helped me work through that. I... um, one of the great things about being here is that I've, they've been, they've let me do other things besides um, costume designs. I've gotten to direct a couple of times and I got to write and perform a one person show at the beginning of the school year. And uh, even that uh, enabled me to dig back and do writing based on um, things that I'm still processing through to this day. Um, and then had to write about, think about, think how to capsulize the experience, then how to actually perform it um, without kind of losing it. Um, so, yeah, I think, uh, you know, theater, the watching, the making, the jobs um, continues to kind of be a major outlet of my emotional life. Have you seen that same kind of healing with students who may be, you know, be going through a challenging or difficult time that they just throw themselves in into the theater and, and it, and it, and it does what it needs to do. Oh, most definitely. I really see that in our performance students, especially. Um, there is something in performance that, you know, they're forced to figure out what parts of themselves they can tap into or stretch out of whenever they're trying to engage with a role. And I always, I, I see them doing that to a remarkable extent. Um, and it's kind of a, you have to allow yourself to be vulnerable, um, do a lot of exploration. You really put yourself at a lot of risk when you do performance. Um, just sort of being out there, being visible in that. And yet it is hopefully in what we try to create as a 
as a safe environment. You know, there's this element of fiction to it. Um, so you can plunge yourself into there and then pull yourself back as you need to. But, um, and I think that uh, theater students and probably other kinds of art students as well um, tend to be the ones that want to do that kind of exploration. They want that investment of themselves in things. Um, you know, they want that ability to kind of explore parts of themselves or take on a role that pushes them um, to kind of figure out who they are. So I think they tend to be the people who are attracted to that. And I love that about them. And so I know as an individual, my I have my own sense of style and what I wear and dress. You know, like right now I'm wearing a scarf and in the wintertime, you'll pretty much find me in a scarf and a peacoat or, <laughs> you know, my heeled ankle boots. That That's like my style for the wintertime. And I feel like my style has really been shaped and developed by my culture of where I grew up. You know, I was in Colorado for a while, New Jersey, Kentucky, Um you know, coming as a millennial. And so I have a side part in skinny jeans on and <laughs> all of these different facets of my culture definitely shape how I dress and what I wear. And I find it really interesting on our campus to see how our students dress and what they wear. And I, I believe that this is also an interest of yours of that intersection of dress and culture. And I was hoping we could maybe explore that a little bit more. Like what is it about how we dress in our culture that interests you? Mm. I, well, I find it fascinating. I mean, for one thing, clothes are so personal, it's so intimate. It's one of the things that sits directly on our body. And it's one of the ways and that it's one of the things that everybody does every day. Um, and it has so many intersections, as you said, with who you are, how you grew up, what your sense of modesty is, um, whether you're trying to create a new identity for yourself or trying to conform uh, with a new place that you're in. Um, it's very influenced by what you see and what you grew up with. And now we have a very media influenced visual culture, especially in terms of things like clothing and hair and makeup um, plays a huge role in those things. I, I don't know if there's any more everyday and yet profoundly impactful thing that we all do that helps create our own experience of the world, our own sense of how we want to present ourselves to the world as what we put on our bodies every day. I find that really fascinating. Um, and anyone who's ever, I don't know, cut their hair at a, you know, to like the end of a relationship or um, cleaned out their closet or, you know, worn a baggy sweater on a day when they're depressed. I mean, all those things, it's totally linked up with our, our sense of self, our sense of who we want to be and where we want to fit into the world. Um, and then if you even extrapolate it out further than that, um, you know, uh, if we look at things like protest culture and how clothing gets used in that, if you look at things like why are, why were women wearing pink pussy hats? What about the yellow vest protests? Um, taking off jerseys, turning them inside out, the ways in which clothes can be used in so many ways to speak, um, to tell the story of ourselves, to tell the story of um, what we're trying to say in the world, how we join in, how we step out. Um, I don't know. I find it endlessly fascinating. 
And it's interesting talking to you because, again, it's one of those things that, at least for myself, when I get dressed in the morning, I'm not thinking of all of those things, but they all play a role in it. So it's almost like that subliminal messaging, again, that's coming through in what we wear, where a lot of times you're not even thinking about it. But like you said, if you're having a bad day or if it's cold and rainy out, you might wear something a little more comfortable. Mm -hmm. And if I've got an important meeting with people that I feel like I need to impress, I'm going to dress a different way. And, you know, it's interesting that sometimes you're just even going through those without without thinking about it, really. Oh, yeah. It's kind of uh, it's like kind of like what you said about uh, looking at uh, a movie or design or something. Uh, we just kind of recognize that when we don't feel like ourselves or when we feel like our best selves, uh, we just kind of feel the difference. And uh, some of us know that right away. And some of us, you know, spend our lives navigating through that. And I will say, I am not a fashion person. I am in no way a fashionable person. Um, I'm just fascinated by how we use all these things to try and get ourselves through our days. Uh, it was interesting because I taught a milestone class this past semester, and I'm rethinking it and trying to figure out how to teach it again this semester about dress and culture. And one of the, we started with the students themselves. And most of them started from a place of, well, I don't really think that much. It doesn't really matter that much to me. Um, but we kind of exploded that myth as we went on. Um, we even just started with, you know, talk about an item that has special significance to you. What is it? Why is it significant? When do you wear it? How do you wear it? Um, and even looking at our emotional attachments to things. And then to address what you said about um, sort of being being a product of your time and space and all that kind of stuff, we did an exercise in having them bust out, dress out of context. So dress out of either out of character with themselves or sort of out of step with the occasion or the place or the time or the weather or um, there are a variety of ways in which they could sort of bust outside context. And it was really fascinating to me that the things that they did that I thought were so very um, minor in terms of changes felt deeply radical and uncomfortable for them, you know, not wearing makeup for a day or wearing a, a jacket and tie to classes for the whole day. Um, things that are pretty, pretty moderate shifts made huge sort of changes in their sense of comfort and their sense of self and how people interacted with them. And uh, that was kind of fascinating to see. So a lot of it is very subtle. It's subliminal, but we, you know, we, we uh, live within a set of rules that we may not even be aware of until we try to break them. I'm, I'm glad you said you're not this, you know, fashionista, because I was going to ask a riveting question. And that was <laughs> if you had like seven closets in your house, just full of clothes, but I take it no. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I do want to explore um, this show that you produced. And I remember hearing about it and um, seeing a little bit of it. But and I'm probably going to butcher the name of it. Why do I wear a thong? Is that is that what it is? That well, what it's it why do I own a thong? Mm. I do discuss the fact that I don't wear it. Why do I own <laughs> a thong and other existential questions? And so it was really just getting at... Um, kind of telling some of the stories of my life and exploration of identity and body and aging and connection and loss, but doing it through the medium of clothes. So there was everything from trying to figure out why I ever bought this thing that sits in my drawer that I never wear, you know, what it would represent if I did, 
what it represents that I don't, you know, everything from that to, um, my mother and watching my mother and her makeup routines and her rows of shoes and, um, how sort of that change, watching that evolve as I watched my mother from being, you know, from when I knew her, when she was in her 30s, you know, when we first started to know each other, and all the way through to the end of her life. And, you know, seeing her going from high heels to Velcro strap, strap tennis shoes, you know, and everything in between, and sort of, you know, what that meant in the scope of a life. So it was my way of sort of exploring, um, not storytelling, I guess, through that medium of clothes. So I would think that storytelling does, like, through costume design, you're helping to tell that story. So mm-hmm. what was it specifically about costume design that you think really allows you to tell part of the story for a play or a musical? Mm. Yeah, because it's true. We don't, um, making clothes is part of what we do, but we don't make clothes. We help actors create characters and tell stories, hopefully at our best at what we do. Um, we first probably learn about anyone in our lives, you know, in stage, um, theater movies are just a very compressed, immediate sort of storytelling, um, by what we see. Um, and we, whether we're aware of it or not, we're making a, a summary judgment of the type of person that we're looking at, whether they're bold or shy or inhibited or free, whether they're male or female, or it's not clear. Um, we're making a lot of decisions based on the shapes, the colors, the fits, whether things are shiny or not, um, whether they're rough or smooth. Um, that visual can first just help tell us who somebody is uh, in a really immediate way that it requires no words. You know, if everyone else is is uh, wearing bright colors and one person wears white, ah, there's that scene in West Side Story, okay, where Maria is getting ready to go to the dance and she's being forced to go to her first dance in a white dress and she's complaining Oh, to her cousin, Anita. She says, I will be the only one there in a white dress. And boom, the light bulb goes on. Ah, she'll be the only one there in a white dress. And so now we have an innocent young girl, the only one in a white dress in a sea of color. And we have a story that's already being told. It's so immediate. It's so immediate. And then we can see how people um, change over the course of, of the story, you know, do they have a rise or fall in fortunes? Does their, do their personalities change over time? And then we can also help fit them into a world. Um, you know, if you go to the Game of Thrones world or any other, especially in fantasy movies and TV that, you know, it tends to be really, really strong, powerful visual worlds. Um, we know uh, whether you're in sort of a world of winter or a world of summer, you know, are you by the sea? Or are you in the mountains? We know by the storytelling of what people are wearing. We know when we're watching Breaking Bad and our anti-hero shaves his head, changes his beard, and starts to wear that certain kind of hat. Uh, where he's going, how, where he's, you know, what kind of persona he's trying to take on. So it's something you can do without ever saying a word. 
And it plays into all these subconscious ideas that we have about things that we don't even articulate, but we know it when we see it. It's so fun. I love it. Um, SpongeBob is coming up. Mm-hmm. Can you give us a kind of a sneak peek on what we can expect from that show and what people will be wearing? Anything, anything crazy happening there? Well, we're in the formation stages right now. So I'm still doing some explorations with our director. Um, but we're trying to stay rooted uh, in the in the real world. So nobody's wearing a giant sponge. <laughs> so what is the real world equivalent of these characters? Um, but I also found myself really struck in watching the cartoon and listening to the music and the play of just uh, and looking at a lot of uh, undersea imagery, imagery of puffer fish and all kinds of different sort of sea creatures. Um it struck me kind of like 80s punk, you know, very wild shapes, um, exuberance of color, playfulness. And so um, I'm trying to bring in some of the sort of shapes and colors and hair and makeup from 80s punk and sort of infiltrate it in there. Um, So we're bringing together a lot of different things. We're bringing together the influence of the cartoon and, you know, so that it will be recognizable to the whole generation that grew up on the cartoon. And then also sort of trying to bring in some playfulness with these, these sort of fashion influences that I see. Well, Jill Van Brussel, thank you so much for being here today and taking us into this world of costume design. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This is the See Me Now podcast. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts.